All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Carter Thompson, your host as always. Thanks for tuning in. I always appreciate it. And apologies for the long gap in between my last episode and this one. I thought I had one recorded and set for last week, but apparently I missed it. And I had some friends visiting the week before, so I'm going to put some blame on them as well. But I know they'll be okay with that. Appreciate you guys coming to visit. You know who you are. I know they'll be listening. But a lot to catch up on. We missed most of the second round of the NBA playoffs here. So I'll get us caught up there. We'll see who's moved on to the conference finals in the NBA. Four teams left in the NBA playoffs. About to be down to three, actually, with what we've had from the conference finals games so far. So we'll get caught up there. I mean, we've hockey is moving along well into its playoffs. We're in the second round of those as well. I believe the Calgary Flames, just to start the second round, had a game where they won 9-6, to which is the highest scoring hockey game since I believe like 1993. So hockey is doing just well with their playoffs as well. PGA Championship in golf just completed this past weekend. Congratulations to Justin Thomas. What an incredible comeback. I mean, he was seven shots back of the lead when his day started. Ends up going to a three-hole playoff in the Open Championship. Beats Will Zalatoris in the playoff for the Open Championship, winning his second major championship. Unbelievable for the PGA Championship right there. Justin Thomas winning that one. We've got football in terms of college football. We've got big news coming out of there with Nick Saban, and I'll get to that at the end of this episode, most certainly. And then I also today want to talk, I'm going to start ranking the NFL teams and how I see it playing out this year. I got it, I think I have it in four tiers. I got like Super Bowl contenders, teams I don't think are going to even be sniffing the playoffs. We'll get to to one of those four tiers today, and I'll continue those tiers. And then we'll see if I maybe even rank them just 1 to 32, or maybe I, I just have a top 10 at some point. But I've got tiers for the NFL football teams as well. All right. Oh, the schedule release for the NFL. We had That's what I thought I already recorded too. But the NFL schedule release was about two weeks ago. So I'll highlight some of my – I've got a ton of games that I had my eye on. And, I mean, if you're an NFL fan, every week you almost have something that you can be excited to watch. So we'll go through some of the big games that we have upcoming this year as well. All right. Let's start off, though. NBA Conference Finals well underway. Let's take a quick look back at an incredible second round. We had two Game 7s in Round 2, two series that went to Game 6. We'll start with the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Celtics coming back from down 3-2 to beat the Bucks in seven games on their home court. I mean, Boston was shooting lights out. Milwaukee couldn't hit a 3 in Game 6 or 7. That's why they lost, I think. I mean, Giannis... You saw he gave it his all. Just looked like he didn't have any help down the stretch, really, with the team as a whole. Like I said, they made four threes for the game in Game 7, and Giannis had one of them. So that's three of them by the rest of the team. you got to be able to help. I mean, Pat Connaughton was good in in some of those games. He's got to be able to hit threes. Grayson Allen just disappeared in Game 6 and 7 for sure, especially after that Chicago series. You were expecting big things from Grayson Allen. I mean, Drew... Drew Holiday is supposed to be your second or third superstar, or star at least, not a superstar, at least a star, an all-star on sometimes. But it seemed like he would only show up and score big baskets when they're down like 15, you know, and he could like stop the bleeding for one, maybe two baskets in a row. 
but that's it. You weren't getting a consistent 25 to, to 28 points to go along with Giannis's 40 points a game that he was almost averaging. Drew, uh, Drew Holiday, just, he didn't seem to step up in, in terms of offensively. And now for defensively, defensive purposes, of course, Drew Holiday is going to be able to slow down the other team's best player at times, whether it was Jalen Brown, sometimes Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was fantastic in Game 6 and 7. Game 6, I think he had 46 to counteract Giannis's 44. And then Game 7, I mean, it was Grant Hill had 27 points off of threes. Jason Tatum hit like five threes, and he had 25 points. Al Horford had 20 points. What you saw was Boston Celtics probably had the better team. The Milwaukee Bucks almost run won because they had the best player in basketball right now in Giannis. And I mean, I think Giannis showed that to a lot of people. that He's the best player in the NBA right now, not Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has an argument, especially, what, and we'll talk about that in a second, well, actually, we won't really talk about it. I mean, the, the Heat kind of handled the 76ers in six games in that. But you saw the, the the Philadelphia 76ers without Joel Embiid for games one and two lost. He comes back for games three and four on their home court. They're able to win, but they lose the next two even with him out there. So Joel Embiid has an argument as the best player in basketball right now. From what you saw, his team wasn't able to do without him. And then what they were able to do when he came back I still think Giannis, without Chris Middleton, with a kind of just a lack of support in this second round, showed that Giannis is the best player. What this also series told you about the Milwaukee Bucks, no more hate for for Chris Middleton. I don't want to see any of that going into next season about Chris Middleton not being worthy of an all-star. If the Milwaukee Bucks had Chris Middleton, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are facing the Miami Heat in the conference finals right now and not the Boston Celtics. I think the Bucks probably could have won game six. Now, game seven, they just got absolutely throttled by the Boston Celtics, just hitting, I think they had close to 23s. I mean, Grant Williams had at least seven of them, six or seven of those threes. But with Chris Middleton, what it does is if these other role players, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, I mean, Bobby Portis was all right. He wasn't hitting threes. Brooke Lopez was, was good at times, but... That was just because he was the biggest body down in the paint, which was great. But when you you can't win with Giannis going for 40 and then, and then Brooke Lopez being at 15 and Drew Holiday being at 15 and no one else getting close to double digits, that's not going to work for the Bucks. What they needed was Chris Middleton being that steady 20 points, getting you six points a quarter, you know, when you need it. Getting you to 24, 25 points for the game being that consistent score, that's not what Drew Holiday was when the Bucks, I think, needed him. So the Celtics, I mean, they gave Giannis all he could handle. They had, they played great team defense, too. Like I said, this was probably, Boston was probably the better team trying to slow down the best player in the NBA. And I mean, you, when we say, like, tried to, they, they did a good job of handling Giannis, he was still the first player in NBA history with 200-plus points, 100-plus rebounds, and 50-plus assists in a seven-game series. That's close to 30 points per game, close to about 14, 15 rebounds per game. And then it's close to about, what is that, seven assists. That's over seven assists per game. That's what Giannis just averaged. Wow. I mean, and then you got, like I said, just a team game from the Boston Celtics with Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, can't forget his defense, defensive player of the year. 
Grant Williams. I already said him. Jalen Brown. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily one guy each game. Maybe it was Tatum and Brown one game, or then it was Horford and Tatum, or Horford, Williams, and Smart, you know, something like that. And that's how the Celtics, I think, were able to beat the Bucks. But like I said, with Chris Middleton, Giannis, Drew Holiday, if they're all healthy next year, I still like the Bucks' chances being the best team in the NBA. This is all, this is with everybody healthy. I think the Bucks, with their three, would be willing to take on any big three in the NBA, given the landscape of the NBA right now. Now, of course, I think it'll change this offseason with big-time moves, whether it's James Harden moving again, whether it's Damian Lillard actually getting traded, Zach Levine from the Bulls actually going to another team. That's all we can talk in the offseason. But I think the Bucks are very, very okay with their big three. Now they got to find other guys to step up in the playoffs. When the time comes, Grayson Allen didn't get it done. He might be back next year. Bobby Portis is, is good, and Pat Connaughton are good, but they need someone else to step. George Hill was an absolute no-show. Not sure why he still gets minutes. <laughs> I just think when if Mike Budenholzer has a head coaching job, George Hill has minutes on an NBA basketball team. But either way, no hate going into the offseason for Chris Middleton. No Giannis hate either, I'm hoping, from a lot of the, the mainstream big-time media personalities in terms of, oh, you got to be able to carry said team. No. I don't know why. It seems like a lot of the times when we're looking at all-time great players, we always have to like focus on some of the negatives. Why can't we? I mean, Giannis is an NBA champion. Why can't that be a focus? It doesn't have to be uh, six rings or nothing or four rings or, or nothing. You're, you know, It doesn't have to be that. You know, but man, that was a fun series to watch between the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Celtics moving on in that series. I'm excited for the Bucks next year as well. Hopefully, everybody can stay healthy. Like I said, I think with a healthy Chris Middleton, he would have helped them close out this series for sure against the Boston Celtics. But I think they'll be able with that big three of Giannis, Chris, and Drew Holiday. I think they're very comfortable with those three stars on this team. All right. Like I said, Miami Heat handled the Philadelphia 76ers in six games. No Joel Embiid for games one and two. So the Heat jumped out to a quick 2-0 lead, but then he came back for games three through six. Able to win games three and four, unable to get it done in games five and six. I mean, James Harden is just... Something's going on there. I don't think it's injury. I don't know if it's conditioning or what. He's just not able to blow by guys, get to the free throw line as much. He's not hitting the three-point ball as much as as consistently. And, I mean, Joel Embiid even said it. He's like, we're not getting the James Harden from Houston. He's not that guy anymore. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what Philadelphia does. I mean, they still, it still makes sense to trade Ben Simmons when he didn't play a minute for anybody <laughs> this season. And you get James Harden at least contributing to the team. But we'll see what they do. I believe they have a, is it a team option or a player option on James Harden. I think it's a team option. We'll see if they decide to pick that up or maybe give him an extension. But we'll see. It's interesting. Joel Embiid, probably his best season as a pro, finished second in MVP voting this year. All right. In the Western Conference, Luka Doncic and the Mavericks embarrassed the Suns in Game 7 to move on to the Western Conference Finals. This was big. For Luka Doncic, I thought. I mean, the Mavericks were up by 46 points at one point. Luka and Spencer Dinwiddie scored 30-plus points each, winning 123-90. to Booker 
and Chris Paul, absolutely terrible, like, wow, bad, in both game sixes and seven. They were up 3-2. Again, another team up 3-2 that couldn't close it out. Um, Tim, I don't know what the Suns are going to do, what they can do with their current roster or what it needs to change. I mean, Booker, you, I, I, ha- I thought he was a legitimate MVP contender, but now I think you got guys like Luka, Giannis, Joel Embiid, I mean, Jokic won his second straight MVP. I don't think Devin Booker is actually a top five MVP candidate after watching what I just saw. I mean, most valuable player. I mean, you got to be able to close out a lesser team like this. You have the number one team in the NBA. And Devin Booker, I mean, Devin Booker's case was best player on the best team. And I guess that was something that I was falling into when I was giving my pitch for Devin Booker as MVP. But wow. That was just an embarrassing loss for the Phoenix Suns. I don't know what they're going to be able, what they're going to have to change for next year. I mean, Chris Paul just looked like he was like he turned thirty-seven in the middle of the series, and it just fell off for him. So I don't know if something needs to be done there. What you do to get, I don't know if it's DeAndre Ayton. It's going to be interesting. I think. I mean, Luka Doncic to me is now a top five player in the NBA. You got guys like Kevin Durant. Giannis, Joel Embiid, LeBron. I think Luka has a very good argument of being top five. I mean, this is still, I mean, Kawhi Leonard has, I mean, he's been out for a year, so you, you forget about Kawhi Leonard for a little bit, but Kawhi Leonard's in the in the conversation. I mean, I guess Nikola Jokic, since he's a two-time MVP. But wow, for the Phoenix Suns losing that one. And then you had the Warriors beating the Grizzlies in six games. So then you get a Mavericks Warriors Western Conference Finals. Warriors won in six. No Ja Morant for the Grizzlies in the last two games. So now we got Warriors versus Mavericks, Heat versus Celtics for our Conference Finals games. We'll start with the Warriors. They are now up 3 0 on the Mavs. So the Mavs likely done in this playoffs. My guess they're going to lose in five games. Considered a gentleman's sweep instead of a 4-0 series sweep by the Warriors. And one thing that I was wondering, and I, I thought I would have talked about this, if I had if I had my podcast last week, which I should have, don't know why, but anyways, if I had it last week before this series started, what I would have said is, for the Mavericks versus Warriors, I think Luka is the best player in this. Steph Curry is another player. You could have an argue for a top five player in the league, but... I think Luka is the best player left in the playoffs of these four teams. The problem is he's going to run into the same issue that Giannis had against the Celtics. Warriors are the better team, looks like the much better team, but Luka's the best player as long as he gets some help, like you saw against the Suns where Spencer Dinwiddie had 30-plus points. If Luka gets some competent help, the Mavericks would have a chance, right? Well, he's not getting any of that in this series. I mean, in the first round, it was Jalen Brunson against the Utah Jazz when Luka had to miss, I believe, the first two or three games. Jalen Brunson was fantastic. Against the Suns, it was a little bit of everything. It was Maxi Kleba one game. It was maybe like Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock hitting threes another, and then Spencer Dinwiddie helping him out in like game six and seven. So that's how are they able to win. I mean, Luka's averaging close to 40. He's got eight 40-point games. And I think he's had like another four this playoffs in these playoffs. Maybe four or five. 
But so Luca is going to get you 40 if you need it. You just need some more help, from, and he's not getting it. Spencer Dinwiddie is not giving it to him. Jalen Brunson hasn't been the same since the Utah series. He's not getting any consistent help, and that's why the Warriors are up 3-0. And I think, I mean, the, the Bucks were able, with Giannis, to keep it closer against the Celtics. But Luca, I mean, and the Bucks have a better roster, I think, than the Mavericks, which is why. But Luca, with with even scoring forty points, I I don't know what his record is. I think he's only got like two wins. He's like two and six when he scores forty points. So even when he scores forty points and has ten assists, he's still not getting enough help. So that's why, and that's what I thought would happen is the Warriors would win this series. I thought it would maybe be like six or seven games. You know, like Luca, when he scores 40, would able be able to get some wins, but he's absolutely getting no help from anybody. Nobody's been able to knock down threes other than Luca, really. So I think the, the Warriors will likely win this one in five. Game four is on, is it Tuesday? Is on Tuesday, I think. Tuesday or Wednesday is when game four is for the Mavs and Warriors. I think the Mavericks will win game four, but then game five, the Warriors will win that one at their home stadium back in golden state in oakland but yeah i just feel bad i mean in in, in the offseason priority for the mavericks after getting gentlemen swept in my opinion by the warriors is to get luca a bona fide number two star another top 20 player a consistent guy on this team i don't know who that would necessarily be Could Bradley Beal be a guy? I don't know how you get him to Dallas. I don't know what sort of options they have of getting another guy, but that's what they need to do is get Luka a number two guy. And then on the Eastern Conference side, this is one I think is going to go seven games. You got the Heat versus the Celtics, a rematch of the 2020 Eastern Conference Finals back in the bubble in Orlando. I mean, Celtics are down 2-1 right now with game four. I mean, Jason Tatum is, is really just baffling in terms of you don't know whether he's going to give you 40 like he did in game six against the Bucks, but then in game three against the heat here he scored 10 points with pj tucker shutting him down i mean this guy is a borderline should be a top 10 player jason tatum right acts i mean plays like a top 10 player most of the time but then he's got games in big moments like this where he just scores 10 points and i mean jalen brown had i believe jalen brown had 40 for the Celtics, and, and it wasn't enough. They still lost by like eight points to the Heat when Jimmy Butler got injured in this game in the first half, and the Celtics still weren't able to get it done. I mean, I just you don't, you don't know. Sometimes Jason Tatum plays like a top five player, and then other times he plays like barely a top twenty five player. I don't know. It's interesting, but is this this might be a must win for the Celtics because I don't think if the Heat go up three one, I don't think the Celtics are gonna win three straight against the Miami Heat they could win two straight and make it to game seven but Jimmy Butler hopefully he's all right I think he's going to be okay to play tonight for game four I think game four is tonight on Monday but I don't think Jimmy Butler you saw what he did in game one against the Boston Celtics scoring like 44 points doing absolutely everything for the Miami Heat I don't think Jimmy Butler would let the Miami Heat lose three straight games so I think this is a must win for the Celtics tonight to even the series up at four games apiece. Also, I think this is Jimmy Butler's best chance of winning of winning a championship. If they can beat the Celtics, that, that would be a really great series of Warriors versus Heat. 
But wow, I mean, otherwise, Jimmy Butler, he's, he's going to get older. Then you got guys like Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Giannis, Joel Embiid. These guys are top 10, top 5 players, possibly, in the NBA that are going to be here year after year where you're going to need breaks to go your way, like Chris Middleton being out for the Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown getting another year under their belt and getting better and better. Luka Doncic getting a second star. It's going to be hard for Jimmy Butler to get that ring. I mean, we, I mean, Chris Paul, it, it just looks like he's not, it's not in the cards for him, unfortunately. But Jimmy Butler, this is possibly his best chance. If I had to pick right now, I think the Miami Heat would win this game, win this series in seven games. I would take the Miami Heat to win it in seven games to set up a Warriors Heat finals. The Celtics, I don't they may be the better team, but I don't know. This it doesn't matter if you have the better team if your best player is as wishy-washy back and forth inconsistent sometimes as Jason Tatum can be. And if I mean, he might go off in game 4 here tonight for like 40 points, right? That's great, but now what are you going to do with game 5? Are you going to have another 10? I mean, I don't know. It's just weird how he just disappears in some of these big games, but we'll see. But boy, I really like this Eastern Conference matchup. It's not, the, oh man, I wish that this this Warriors-Mavericks one was like 2-1 or something like that. Warriors up 2-1 where Luka like had some life instead of him just being down 3-0. And then like game four, nobody really cares. But I'm excited for this Eastern Conference finals between the Heat and Celtics. I think the Celt, I think... Jimmy Butler will be okay for game four tonight for the Miami Heat, but it looks like actually they're going to be missing Tyler Hero, their sixth man of the year winner coming off the bench. He won't be able to go for game four, so we'll see. But I just don't know the Celtics with some of their stars. Jalen Brown, too. Like, he just scored 40, but some games he'll score another, a 10. It's same with Brown and Tatum. These guys are a little inconsistent for me, where I think if Jimmy Butler is on the floor in the playoffs, Jimmy Playoff Jimmy Butler is different than regular season Jimmy Butler. In regular season, Jimmy Butler led the Miami Heat to the number one seed in the East. So if he's good, if he's that good in the regular season, imagine playoff Jimmy Butler just like one and a half, two times more than what he is in the regular season. I trust playoff Jimmy Butler and his consistency to get them to the NBA Finals. But it'll be a lot of fun to watch for sure. But I've got Warriors Heat in my NBA Finals this year. We'll see. Game 4 for the Heat and Celtics tonight. Then I believe Game 4 for the Warriors and Mavericks is on Tuesday the 24th. We shall see. All right. Moving on, NFL schedule release and my early tier rankings. We'll start with the schedule release. It was released, let's see, on the 12th. So about a week and a half ago now. Are we 10 days away from that? Yeah, we're about 10 days ago. The NFL released its schedule so many great games week in and week out. I'm just going to go through my top games, and, and there's, I've got so many right now, so just bear with me. I mean, week one, our kickoff game is Bills versus Rams. I mean, so we got the Super Bowl champs in SoFi Stadium against the Buffalo Bills, everybody's Super Bowl favorite this year. I mean, this could be a Super Bowl preview, AFC, NFC, but you've got literally everybody's number one power ranking team right now is the Buffalo Bills. They take on the reigning champs. Week one. I mean, perfect. Then you got Broncos versus Seahawks in week one on Monday Night Football, I believe. Maybe it's Sunday Night Football. I can't remember. I believe it's Monday Night Football. But Russell Wilson returns to Seattle week one. Make it his first game at his, with his new team. Make it week one. Make it in prime time. Russell Wilson 
going back to Seattle. That's going to be great to watch in primetime, of course. Week three, then we got Rodgers versus Brady, version three. Since Tom Brady has moved to Tampa Bay, is it version three or version four? I think it's version three. But Rodgers versus Brady is always great. These guys are actually, on June 1st, they're going to be golfing as partners. (laughs) Going to be golf partners in Capital One's The Match on, is it on TBS, I believe? But it'll be Rodgers and Brady versus Mahomes and Josh Allen. But here in week three, we get Rodgers versus Brady. Always a good matchup there. Week four, we get Mahomes versus Brady. Chiefs at Tampa Bay. I mean, this is a rematch of the Super Bowl two years ago. You got the GOAT in Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, who a lot of people think is the up-and-rising GOAT, baby GOAT, if you want to call it that. Either way. Also in week four, you got Bills at Ravens. I think this is going to be a bounce-back Ravens team. I mean, weren't the Ravens? The Ravens were like 8-3 and three at one point last year with all those injuries. They literally lost their top three running backs in J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and their third stringer in line before that. They lost their like top three corners, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. Then you had their left tackle, star left tackle, Ronnie Stanley go down. Then Lamar Jackson went down. I think this is going to be a really good Ravens team. They did just trade away Marquise Hollywood Brown to the Cardinals, but I don't know. They're not a passing team. They're going to be the number one rushing team in the NFL next year behind Lamar Jackson, J.K. Excuse me, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. They're going to be the number one rushing team. I think everybody's kind of, I don't know, the, the Ravens just don't seem to be talked about as much in terms of teams. I mean, the Bengals are getting a lot of hype, deservedly so. They just went to the Super Bowl. But the Ravens are a team that could win the AFC North, beat the Bengals in the AFC North, and I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be like, oh, it's not an upset. I'd be like, okay, I, I, yeah, I would have thought the Bengals, but the Ravens, Year in and year out with John Harbaugh. Great defense, of course. They just got Kyle Hamilton at safety. So Bills at Ravens in week four. Two powerhouse AFC squads, potential playoff preview, which will be a lot of fun. Week six, then, you get the Bills versus the Chiefs. This is a this is going to be a rematch every year because both of these teams are going to win their divisions year in and year out. I mean, I mean, the Chiefs are in a very tough division this year, but the Bills are going to be winning the AFC East for a long time. We had that incredible playoff game that went to overtime, and the Chiefs eventually won. Now we have a new playoff rule because of that game. So we got Bills versus Chiefs in Week 6. Of course, that one's going to be in primetime. Week 8, we get Ravens and Buccaneers on Thursday Night Football. Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, who's going to have more rushing yards? I don't know. Get your bets in now. But seriously, I, I just I like the Ravens this year. A lot of their games, Lamar Jackson, is always exciting to watch in primetime. So that one should be fun. You get Packers versus Bills. Sunday night football in week eight. I mean, we missed out on Rodgers versus Mahomes last year when Rodgers got COVID in week eight. Hopefully this year we get Rodgers versus Allen. I mean, wow. That will be a fun matchup to watch. It'll be in Buffalo. I mean, to me, two of the best fan bases in the NFL, Green Bay Packers and Bills Mafia. So that will be a lot of fun to watch. Week 9, you get Rams versus Buccaneers. Sunday night football rematch of the NFC Divisional game last year. I mean, I mean, I should have just made a section of Tom Brady great games. Because, I mean, whenever you get Tom Brady up against another really great quarterback, it's going to be a primetime game. Like I said, I mean, we've already got 
Rodgers versus Brady, Mahomes versus Brady. If we get Josh Allen versus Brady, I'll let you know. I'm sure it'll be on my list here. But anyways, rematch of the NFC Divisional game last year where Tom Brady almost came back down like 24-3 to against the Rams, against the eventual champion Rams. So that should be a really fun game. Week 10, we get Cowboys versus Packers. This is always great. There's always some sort of either fantastic play that ends it, maybe something controversy like did Des catch it? No, he didn't for the record there. Also, Mike McCarthy returns to Lambeau for the first time since being fired as the Packers head coach and being hired as the Cowboys head coach. So the first time Mike McCarthy faces his former team. So that should be good in week 10. Week 12, Bengals versus Titans. Rematch of the wild card game between the Bengals and the Titans. This one is what really just sets some wheels in motion for the Titans, whether Ryan Tannehill is the guy going forward and really, to me, kind of just propelled the Bengals' rebuild into just a new stratosphere jumpstart. I mean, it took two years. In one of the years, Joe Burrow was injured most of it. So we'll get that rematch in Week 12. And also in Week 12, we'll get Rams versus Chiefs, a potential Super Bowl preview, possibly. Matt Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, should be a lot of fun. I'm sure it'll be in prime time. We get Chiefs versus Bengals. Then in Week 13, rematch of the AFC Championship game. Wow. I mean, that's going to be a great game. That was an incredible playoff game. And then we get so many of these playoff games from a year ago this season, which I love. Everybody loves those because they're so recent, so fresh. That'll be a lot of fun. Week 15, we get Bengals versus Buccaneers. There we go. See, Tom Brady versus ex-great quarterback in the league right now. This one is Tom Brady versus Joe Burrow. Should be great. Raiders versus Patriots. Here's one that you probably didn't expect, but this one you get Josh McDaniels, new head coach of the Raiders, versus his former boss, Bill Belichick. Belichick versus McDaniels in Week 15. Raiders at Patriots. Rams versus Packers Week 15 as well. Always good. Remember this one last year? I thought this was going to be our potential NFC Championship game last year, but of course that got ruined. No worries. We got three Christmas Day games this year along with three Thanksgiving games as well. Thanksgiving games, not nothing special on those. Christmas Day games, I know we've got like Dolphins versus Packers, which might be fun depending on how the Dolphins are doing around that time. I think that's week 16. So if the Dolphins are in contention, that could be a really fun one with Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell versus Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see. Week 17 then, we get Bills versus Bengals on Monday Night Football. I mean, this is a potential AFC Championship game. I mean, Josh Allen versus Joe Burrow on Monday Night Football. Nothing better there, in my opinion. And then we get Chargers versus Rams. Battle for LA right there between the Chargers and the And then, I mean, any of these matchups you'll get to see week in and week out between the AFC West, whether it's Chiefs-Raiders, Raiders-Chargers is a rivalry game. You got Broncos-Chiefs with Russell Wilson. I mean, any of those games are going to be big games this season. That's incredible. So if there's an off week, like I didn't didn't mention any games in Week 7. I don't have the schedule up in front of me, but I bet you if there's an AFC West matchup in Week 7, you're covered, right? Just awesome. AFC North as well, Bengals and Ravens. Can't wait for those. The Browns and Bengals, Browns and Ravens, Steelers, possibly a rebuilding team this year, but they've got the first 
quarterback taken in the draft this year, Kenny Pickett. Will he be playing in some of these games? Always intriguing in the AFC North. That's always a hotly contested division. I'm very excited for those games. And then NFC West is going to be really, really good as well with the Rams, 49ers, who are just in the NFC Championship game. Sometimes, I mean, they might not be the most exciting team. Debo Samuel, one of the more exciting players, but maybe the 49ers aren't necessarily an exciting team. Still always a really good team. So 49ers and then Cardinals as well. Even with DeAndre Hopkins being out for the first six to eight games with suspension, NFC West games are going to be exciting. Unreal slate of games all season. I, I couldn't be more excited. I Let's see. I've got weeks one. So I skipped week two. I skipped week five. I skipped week seven. Skipped week 11. And I skipped week 14. And then week 18 is all divisional games. But of course, week 18 is always exciting because that finalizes everything. But I skipped like four or five weeks that didn't have, in my opinion, some of these big-time matchups that I just mentioned, but I'm sure they have great AFC West matchups, AFC North matchups. I don't know. Unbelievable slate of games all season. I can't wait. Very exciting. I'm glad that the schedule is out, and these are some of my top games this season. All right. I'm going to quick explain to you my NFL team tier rankings this year. I have four of them. Here are my four tiers that I have that I'm going to be trying to put teams in this year. I've got non-playoff contenders. I've got fringe playoff contenders. I got solid playoff contenders, and then I've got championship contenders. So I believe if I look at my notes here, I think I've only got like six. No, I've got seven championship contenders. Then I've got another six strong playoff contenders, and there's only 16 teams that make it into the playoffs every or no only 14 teams that make it into the playoffs seven and seven let's do math people here but i've got 14 teams in my two tiers of championship contenders and strong playoff contenders teams that i think should be contending for the playoffs and then i've got another what is it eight fringe playoff contending teams but today what i'm going to start with is my non playoff contenders this season these are teams that I think are either in rebuilding mode or possibly a year away from getting into that fringe playoff contender status. Fringe playoff contenders could mean that they're they're competing for that like final wild card spot, in my opinion. Solid playoff contenders are teams that I think should could be either competing for their division, possibly competing for their division, but should be in strong position to make one of those wild card spots all season. And then championship contenders obviously speaks for itself. Non-playoff contenders. I'm just going to give you my nine that I have this year. Next episode, I'll give you my fringe playoff contenders, and and you get the gist from there. But here are my nine teams that are non-playoff contenders this season. They're not in any order. This isn't a, a ranking of like 32 to 24, I believe it would be. It's not in any specific order, but these are the nine teams that I don't think are going to be contending for the playoffs this season. So the nine teams, I got the Houston Texans. Chicago Bears, Carolina Panthers, Seattle Seahawks, Atlanta Falcons, Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Giants, New York Jets, and the Detroit Lions. I was close with the Detroit Lions on putting them into fringe playoff contenders just because of how hard they play under Dan Campbell, but Jared Goff just is not the answer for them at quarterback. I also think they'll be in the running for one of the top quarterbacks next year, whether it's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, one, another guy that climbs the draft boards. 
So I kept Detroit in the non-playoff contender status. But teams like Houston, Carolina, I mean, Carolina just doesn't even know what they're doing at quarterback right now, whether it's going to be Sam Darnold. They did draft Matt Corral. They don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Chicago Bears, man, I just they, I don't think they have any weapons other than David Montgomery for Justin Fields. And their offensive line isn't great either, so they're not going to be able to protect them that well, I don't think. So I think that they're, they're a year away from being potential fringe playoff contenders because next year they'll have a ton of cap space that they can spend to hopefully improve the offense. But I think the Chicago Bears and first-year head coach Matt Eberflus, first-year play caller and Luke Getze also, I think they're going to struggle this year, so I got them down here. Seahawks, same deal. That's what happens when you trade away Russell Wilson, and I think they're okay with that. I think they know that. Atlanta Falcons, I don't know, maybe... They drafted Desmond Ritter. I think he'll probably be starting by like week six over Marcus Mariota. Jacksonville, new new head coach. I'm basically counting Jacksonville as this is Trevor Lawrence's true rookie season in terms of all the dysfunction he had to go up against last year. So hopefully Jacksonville can start to figure things out, maybe get six wins, seven wins this year. Just don't be the last. Just don't be picking first overall for the third straight year, Jacksonville, and, and consider yourselves a win. Jets and Giants. I think Dan, I don't think Daniel Jones is the answer for the Giants. And then we'll see with the Jets. Jets are another team that I, I was close with the fringe playoff contenders. I just haven't seen enough from Zach Wilson yet. So he's got to show me a little bit more. But I think the Jets are starting to build a good roster. Joe Douglas is a very good GM, I think. I think Robert Sala, for, for me, I, I just, I want him to be more of a motivator too. Like get this team pumped up. Dan Campbell is the ultimate motivator in terms of coach. I thought Robert Sala had that as well, seeing him as a defensive coordinator. Seems very chill, though, in, in a lot of his press conferences, but maybe he needs to, to fire up this team a little bit. So we'll see. These are my not, And then Houston Texans, I just don't think. I mean, Lovey Smith, this is just, just try to name more than like five really talented players on this team that would start elsewhere. I mean, maybe Brandon Cooks. Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. They took Derek Stingley with their first-round pick. Who was the other one that they took? They took Kenyon Green as their other first-round pick and then another starter on this team that would start elsewhere. I don't know. It's not from the running back spot, not at the tight end spot. There's just no talent, really, on this team other than maybe like the four guys that I just named. So that's why I have the Houston Texans. It wouldn't surprise me if they ended up as the worst team in the league this year. I don't think that would surprise a lot of people. But these are my nine non-playoff contending teams this year. And then in my next episode, I'll give you my fringe playoff contending teams, teams that are just on the outside of the playoffs, could be fighting for the last wild card spot. All right. Speaking of NFL, though, it'll take us to... Our final thought on this episode of the Final Final Podcast, Tom Brady. Mass, I just mentioned him a little earlier, talking about all the games that he'll be playing this year and also in the Capital Ones, the match, golf match, with him and Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. That's just coming up in actually like a week and a half. So that'll be fun. But anyways, Tom Brady, he signs a massive TV deal with Fox Sports giving him 10 years, $375 million whenever he decides to retire. That's double the next highest paid analyst. Tony Romo makes around 18 to $20 million per year. But Tom Brady, 
gets this deal for whenever he retires to be the number one color analyst for Fox Sports. Fox Sports lost Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to ESPN in Monday Night Football this year. They elevated Kevin Burkhart to be their number one play-by-play guy. But what this tells me for Tom Brady and the rest of his playing career, Fox Sports has the Super Bowl broadcast this year in 2023, and they also have it in 2025. That makes me think with Tom Brady's deal, he gets this 10-year, $375 million deal whenever he decides to retire. That makes me think Tom Brady is going to transition to the booth, broadcasting booth, in two seasons so he can jump right into the broadcasting booth and get the Super Bowl broadcast in his first year of broadcasting in 2025. So I think he gets two more years of playing. We won't We won't even discuss, I mean, we might discuss it at some point, him trying to leave Tampa Bay with his fake retirement. I put quotes around that. You can't see it, but I did. Trying to get to Miami with, in, with an ownership stake, which didn't work. So he comes back to Tampa Bay after his little fake retirement there. But I think what this does in terms of his playing career, one, he wasn't going to retire. He was trying to get to Miami. Two, I I think he would be too bored in retirement as well. So he'll get two more years of playing in Tampa Bay to try and win an unprecedented eighth Super Bowl. He'll try it this year, and then he'll try it one more year in 2024. After that, I think he retires at like 47, which, geez, I can't believe I just uttered that sentence of, thinking Tom Brady is still going to be trying to win Super Bowls at the age of like 46, 47. And we're talking about like guy, other guys like retiring at the age of like 38, 39. Either way, I think he jumps right into the broadcasting booth when he has the opportunity to broadcast a Super Bowl. Because, well, then then he gets just the biggest game right out of the gate as to start off his broadcasting career. That's kind of what my prediction is. Two more years for Tom Brady then he's got this 10-year, $375 million deal just waiting in the wings for him. I mean, no big deal, but I mean, wow. Giving someone double the highest paid at the position when we've never even seen him in the booth, really, is just amazing. But I mean, it's Tom Brady. It's the GOAT. So, I mean, you got to pay up, apparently. But also, this $375 million that he'll be making over 10 years with Fox is also more than he's made in his 20-plus NFL career. I mean, wow. A lot of faith in what Tom Brady can do in the booth without seeing it. But we'll see. I mean, so Fox has the next two out of the three Super Bowls, 2023 and 2025. I think you'll see Tom Brady in the booth for the 2025 Super Bowl, not down on the field. That's kind of my prediction there. But just an insane deal for Fox and Tom Brady. Then, All right. Final, final thought then today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. I told you at the beginning of the episode I would get to this. Nick Saban calling out NIL deals and Texas A&M more specifically. I mean, Nick Saban, he was at, I don't know if it was like a QA and a or just some sort of press conference or what kind of sit-down it was, but he was talking about modifications and some things that were wrong with the current NIL deals going on because recruits weren't necessarily coming to Alabama. He's just kind of airing his grievances out there that he wasn't getting what he wanted, but that they were being bought by other teams. And then he specifically singled out Texas A&M, another SEC school with a coach that used to be on his squad in Jimbo Fisher. And he specifically said Texas A&M bought their entire team, bought every player on their whole team. I think that's what word for word what he said there. I mean, wow. 
just shots fired without producing any evidence. That was a big deal coming from the best coach in college football, potentially one of the best coaches regardless of NFL or college, one of the best football coaches of all time, just coming out straight away and saying that. So then Jimbo Fisher, the head coach of Texas A&M, the very next day, less than 12 hours probably, he had to come out in a press conference and firing back, deservedly so. I mean, you can't just have accusations thrown at you your program and all these kids. I mean, he's coming at these 17-year-old kids as well and their families. Fired back saying this is what happens when you anoint someone as czar of college football. And then he specifically said this. He said, some people think they are God. (laughs) Go dig into his past from anyone that coached with him. You can find out what he does and how he does it. And he said, just go go check his past, dig into some of what his former coaches have to say and find out about parody that Nick Saban is trying to talk about in terms of these NIL deals and some teams and their boosters just buying their entire team. So a couple things here. First of all, a couple things from me on this. Wow, this is going to be some rivalry game this upcoming season. I believe we get Texas A&M versus Alabama sometime in October. That is going to be one of the most highly anticipated just the media is going to go crazy just preparing for this game. That is going to be some game in primetime, absolutely, sometime in October, I believe. Second, to me, this seems a lot of what Nick Saban is doing is just complaining that he's no longer head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, parody is something that he was talking about a lot, like now that he isn't getting the top recruits and that they're being quotes around this paid by these other schools elsewhere, and he's kind of like publicly airing out his grievances and trying to throw another team under the bus in the process. That's kind of what this came off as a lot from from Nick Saban. Not that he really wants change. It's just that, hey, I'm not getting my way. Like this whole parody thing that he's talking about. It's like, no, Alabama, you do not get to you do not get to whine and complain about parody when your school spends millions and millions and millions more than any other on the program. So the parody I wasn't buying from from Nick Saban. Third, kind of what I took away from this is this was just another recruiting tactic by Nick Saban to tell his boosters, hey, figure it out. Let's get this, let's get this thing started here. Start paying these kids to come here as well. I mean, if Texas A&M is do it, doing it, I mean, their boosters are setting up collectives, I believe it's called, where boosters put in millions and millions of dollars And then the team can then take from this collective a part of as a part of this NIL where it's supposedly like another business, but the team knows exactly how much money is in it. So Texas A&M, let's say this is what Texas A&M is doing, is there's a collective that the boosters of Texas A&M and alumni have put millions and millions into. Texas A&M knows exactly how much money is in there, and they can say to each recruit, hey, this is how much I can give you from said NIL deal, you know? That's kind of what Nick Saban was getting at. He was saying that these teams have these collectives where boosters and alumni put millions into. Alabama apparently doesn't have this, where they these kids come in and say, well, how much money are you going to give me to come here? What the NIL was supposed to do was, when you're at said school, if you're a great player, if you have name, if you're a big name, then you will get deals. Alabama will help you get deals with 
maybe a fast food company or a sneaker or, you, you know, some sort of sports company. That's what the NAL was supposed to do. So many loopholes and there's absolutely no regulation of it. So there's these things called collectives being put together by team boosters and team alumni, which the team then knows exactly how much money is in there. And the team can then say in a recruiting pitch, hey, you will get this much money. Apparently, I don't know if this is true, Alabama doesn't necessarily have that. So Saban, with this public errance of grievances, is basically saying one of two things. Hey, my boosters, my alumni, figure this out while also trying to throw another team under the bus. Seems like to me an underhanded public way to get his boosters off their asses and start paying his recruits, in my opinion. Disguised as complaining, a recruiting tactic by Nick Saban, which it seems like he does a lot in his uh, public appearances, his press conferences, his Q&As, whatever this was. Disguised as complaining, this one, really a recruiting thing. Also just a way to kind of fire up his team probably like, hey, they're paying these guys to go here. You guys are doing it off the right way, he said a few times as well. But, I mean, he, he, he can't throw a whole team. You can't accuse a whole team of this with no proof or backup or anything. Also threw a guy at Jackson State, a single player under the bus, saying he got a million dollars to go play at Jackson State, which, I don't know, he didn't have any proof of that. And the kid even came out and said, okay, so I got a million dollars to come play at Jackson State, yet my parents still live in live here and stuff like that. He went at Deion Sanders, which was a bad idea as well, because Deion Sanders isn't going to take that lying down. But this was just, to me, came off as whining from Nick Saban that he wasn't getting his way, that he wasn't head and shoulders above everybody else now that these teams, and if they are paying him, and if right now, since there are no regulations, hey, do what you got to do, I guess. You know, whether it's USC, whether it's Texas A&M, until it gets regulated, they're doing what they have to do to beat Alabama. So, I mean, that's what it came off as for Nick Saban, and this was just a bad way of doing it, especially with no proof. I mean, Nick Saban has apologized for specifically naming schools and has apologized for specifically almost naming the player. But, wow, did this open up a can of worms for sure into the NIL, these collectives that a lot of teams are doing where boosters and alumni put money into it, but then the head coach, the team knows how much money is in there, and they can kind of divvy up how much money goes to each recruit if that makes sense but wow that was incredible last week when Nick Saban came out with these accusations against Texas A&M that is going to be some rivalry game this upcoming season all right that is all I have for you on this episode of the final final podcast thanks for tuning in again apologies for the lapse in episodes in in the big gap in between the 45th and this the 46th episode thanks for coming back though and listening to this one next episode we'll make sure we get to of course in the nfl well i think we'll catch up on a few uh free agent deals that have gone down as well like jarvis landry going to the new orleans saints i'm not sure if i've mentioned that yet but we'll catch up on some nfl deals that have happened in recent times also we'll keep pace with the nba in the playoffs And we'll see where we're at. We'll see if we have a finals matchup the next time we do our podcast episode. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As always, stay safe out there. You are listening to The Final Final.